uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, with the Lord's help, we're going to be looking at verse 9 this afternoon as we make our way through the Beatitudes. But I'm going to read, uh, starting from verse 1, to refresh us of just where we are in this uh, study of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to be starting at verse 1, reading through verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then our verse for this afternoon, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Praise God for his holy word. Brothers and sisters, you remember that in this Sermon on the Mount, as it is traditionally called, that Jesus here is laying out what does it mean to be his disciple? What does it mean to be a citizen of his kingdom? Jesus is a king. He is the promised one. He is the greater son of David, as Matthew has described for us at the opening of this gospel. And now here, as Jesus is going through his preaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he's laying out for us these characteristics of what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. What does the blessed life in God's kingdom look like? And what you and I, what we all labor for in this world, we all labor in one occupation or another throughout our lives. But today, what you need to hear What you need to hear Jesus say is that for the Christian, the best work that you can labor at and the best wages that you can earn are found right here in this beatitude in Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In this beatitude, right in front of us, Jesus is describing the blessing it is to be a work person for the kingdom of God. The work is peacemaking. The wages is blessedness. If I was to summarize the main idea of this passage in my own words, it would be very simply this. Jesus blesses Christians to be peacemakers in their community and in the church. Jesus blesses uh, Christians, I put it this way too, Jesus blesses Christians to be peacemakers in their community, and in the church. Because if there's anything in this world that we're crying for, it is peace and peacemakers, is it not? Uh, It doesn't take much. You pick up your newspaper to see 
all the hostility and all the war that plagues our world today. In the past 6,500 years or so of recorded human history, only about 300 years, less than 300 years, has been nonviolent, without war. That's just around 4% of all recorded, recorded human history that we've not been at war. And it doesn't get much better the more advanced we get as a society. The 20th century is known as being the bloodiest century in human history. You'd think as we progress as a civilization, we become more humane, as it were, more peaceful. But the fact is, is that we just have more advanced ways of killing each other. The more people died in the 20th century as a cause of war and conflict than any other in human history. And so, yes, yes, Jesus, as we read these words, we want peace on this earth. We want a cessation of hostilities and conflict all around but it's not, just, it's not just world peace, is it, when we think of peace? What about interpersonal relationships? Anybody here have an explosive relationship in your life right now? I'm not asking you to raise a hand. Anyone have one of those family relationships, those estranged friends, those relationships where your relationship with the other person has become cold and frosty. Well, maybe for you, it's a time going home on the holidays, seeing family, visiting loved ones. You know, you, you can pretend for a day or two or maybe three, like everything's fine. Talk about surface level things. Oh, great weather that we're having today. Wonderful food, isn't it? But underneath the surface, there's a lot more going on. And all it takes maybe is conversation about what to do with mom and dad as they get older, or maybe a passive aggressive comment pointed in your direction about how you could be better. Uh, maybe it's a comment about what you should be doing with your life or a critique, a comment about some past event that was never addressed and then all of a sudden, the hurt, the pain, the shame, the frustration, everything that was under the surface boils and just explodes. So Jesus, yes. We need peace in our world. We also need peace in our relationships. But also, let's bring it closer to home. <clears throat> We need peace not just out there. We need peace in here, don't we? Because the fact of the matter is, sadly, Christians in the church are not much better many times than the things going on out there, right? Sadly, the church knows its share of conflict and division and schism. It should sadden us whenever we read about this, and it should sadden us and remind us that Jesus prayed that Christians would be one. Did he not? John 17, before Jesus is arrested, you remember how he prays? He says, Father, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And yet, so often, the disunity of the church is what the world sees. So Jesus, 
yes, we need peace, especially here in the church. What the world needs, what we in our relationships need, what this church needs is peace. People crave it. People desire it. Uh, We come up with prizes for peace. We name cities after peace, streets after peace, squares after peace. We commemorate statues when we have peace. We're so advanced today that we even have world organizations dedicated to keeping and maintaining peace. And yet, peace remains elusive and scarce. Friends, the Bible shows us, does it not, just where true peace, where true peacemakers are found and what they look like. How can we have the peace that we need? This is what Jesus wants us to focus on in this beatitude. Our world has a crying need for peace and peacemakers. But we need to understand, clarify, magnify just what that means when Jesus is talking about peace and peacemakers. What are the characteristics of being a peacemaker? What does true peace look like? Friends, you know that the world, when the world talks about peace, what is it talking about? Usually the world, when it's talking about peace, is talking about the absence of something, right? When the world talks about peace, promoting peace, we want the absence of war. We want the absence of hostility. We want the absence of economic instability. We want the absence of any hostility of any kind, right? And a real cynic, a real pessimistic person is even going to say, you know what? People are the problem in this world. They're causing all the problems. What we really need is an absence of people. That's the only way that we can have peace. Or as many of the world religions teach us today, peace is really the absence of caring about anything. If I wasn't just attached to this, I would have a peace of mind. I need to detach and get rid of all sort of desires and then I'll have a tranquil state of mind. Is that what peace is? Friends, it's not what we believe as Christians. I mean, yes, there is a peace of mind that comes from being united to Christ through faith, the assurance that nothing can take away that salvation in Jesus Christ. But there is something else here that Jesus wants us to focus on, something bigger, not just an absence. What true peace is, according to the Bible, peace, or the Old Testament term, shalom, peace is really a wholeness of something. Peace is a well-being. Peace is not an absence of something. It's the presence of God in all his fullness. If you want to have peace in this world, in your life, you need attachment to God. Of course, the problem is is that we have a wall of hostility in our natural selves between us and God that separates us from him. A biblical peace that we need is an act, an act of God. To bring a hostile people, a sinful people, back to himself. Biblical peace is God acting to remove that barrier so that there can be a restored relationship. This is how we are made whole. This is how there can be a great reversal from having nothing to being completely filled up again. 
This is what Jesus is talking about here, a peace between man and God. In other words, if I could put in one word, salvation. We desire, the world desires world peace. We desire peace in our communities. We desire peace among family and friends. All those things are good. But true peacemaking that Jesus wants us to pursue here is seeking salvation for ourselves and especially for others. And friends, if that's the case, if this is what peace is, peacemaking is, then we need to understand more clearly what are the characteristics of a peacemaker. And I just want to give you two. Two characteristics of a peacemaker that we must take if we're going to understand and live out what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom as a peacemaker. For starters, number one, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you need to have honesty. You need to have honesty. Right? Christian peacemakers are truthful. We do the difficult task of speaking words of truth to people in their sin. We're honest about their standing before God. Now, peacemakers are going to have to call out sin when they see it. A peacemaker doesn't close their eyes to the truth and pretend that everything's okay. No, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, we speak the truth in love, in a timely, appropriate way. Now, that's not like, to use a counterexample, not like if you remember the prophets of Jeremiah's day or of Ezekiel's day. Do you know what those false prophets were like? Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 13, for example, those false prophets in their day, what are they saying? They're crying, peace, peace, he says, where there is no peace. Why? Well, Ezekiel says those false prophets were like what they're saying. What they're saying was like building a wall, but that wall has all these cracks in it. It has all these holes in it. It has all these defects in it. And left to itself, that wall is going to crumble apart. What these false teachers do is they, they see that wall and they just they just paint it with whitewash. They paint it bright white so it looks like it's still a great wall. But they don't address the problems there. Ezekiel says what they're doing, they're preaching, just ignoring all the cracks and defaults in that wall, is like what they're doing with Israel's sin. Those false prophets are just ignoring it, whitewashing Israel's sin, pretending like everything's okay. They're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Yeah, you can worship God, but you can also have a little Baal on the side. Or you can worship God and also have Ashtaroth on the side. No problem. You just keep doing that, worshiping your way. God's just going to be okay with it, you know. Just go on with what you're doing. They're lulling people into a false sense of security with God. You know what God says to that? He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a great storm so that wall just falls down. People put up with sinful behavior and pretend like it's no problem, saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. But a true peacemaker, a true peacemaker is not just going to whitewash the problem and pretend like everything's okay, right? We can't. That's not the loving thing to do. If we know that judgment is coming, if we know that there is hostility between us and God, the right thing to do, the loving thing to do, 
is to say, hey, there's a problem here and we need to fix it. So a true peacemaker is someone who's honest with the truth, honest about someone standing before God. But number two, a peacemaker is also, is also going to display a willingness to endure pain. A willingness to endure pain. Pain for the sake of peacemaking. And friends, let's not sugarcoat it here. Peacemaking is hard. Peacemaking is difficult. If you really take into account what Jesus is saying here, peace comes with a price. It comes at a cost. But think back again to these great prophets of Israel's day, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Are these prophets speaking truth? Yes. And are they paying a price for it? You bet they are. Jeremiah, this prophet, who wept tears over Jerusalem, calling them to repentance. What was his payment for his prophecy? Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern, basically a well, and left there to die. He thought he was going to die. Right? That, was his, that was his payment, as it were, for prophesying truth. Or Ezekiel. Ezekiel shaved his head and wept over Israel because of Israel's sin. What was Ezekiel's payment by the false teachers and leaders? He was thrown under house arrest, likely left to die as well. These prophets endured suffering. They're hated because they were told the truth and they didn't shy away from it. They called people to repentance. They pursued reconciliation between God and his people. You see, peace comes at a price. But, but a true peacemaker is willing to risk the price for the greater prize, the prize of blessedness. A a faithful Christian, here's the point, a faithful Christian is willing to work for peace regardless of the consequences to his or her own reputation. The faithful peacemaking Christian, you're willing to put aside your own time You're willing to put aside your own agenda. You're willing to put aside your own pride and ego for the sake of someone else. Don't tell me, don't tell me that's easy. It's not. Peacemaking, true peacemaking is is difficult. It's challenging. And yet, a peacemaker is going to be more pained more pained by someone else's estrangement from God than he or she is going to be pained over their own wounded pride or their unpopularity. Peacemaker is willing to endure suffering and pain for the sake of pursuing peace. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to tell the truth and be honest? Are you willing to endure the pain that may come as a result of it? Now, friends, if we just pause here for a moment, I'm curious. You don't have to respond, of course, but I'm just curious if this is the type of peacemaking that you envision when you hear Jesus teaching us this beatitude. Is this what you were looking forward to, so to speak? Is this a type of peace that the world needs? Is this a type of peacemaker you're expecting? 
I mean, this beatitude, it must have been shocking to people in Jesus' own day. All these beatitudes, I believe, were shocking to people in Jesus' own day. I mean, just consider the last beatitude we read about. The blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That was a shock to the Pharisees when they learned that external ceremonial cleanliness was not going to earn their way to heaven to see God. They needed an inward change, and in fact, they were dirty and defiled with sin. That's shocking to people who had the prestigious position their entire lives as the exalted religious leaders who looked like they had everything together. Well, here in this beatitude as well, what a shock. What a shock to people in Jesus' day. I'm thinking of the Jewish revolutionaries known as zealots. What a shock to these zealots who had been waiting for years for the promised Messiah who they thought was going to be a military king who they were waiting for and preparing for so that he would lead them in a military conquest against the Romans. They were thinking peace through the sword. That would come through conflict. But that's not that type of peace that Jesus is talking about here, is it? Jesus didn't come to establish a military kingdom. Nor did Jesus come, friends, to establish an international organization that would keep and maintain peace. That's not the type of institution he came to establish. Nor did Jesus primarily come, don't misunderstand me here, nor did Jesus primarily come to help reconcile people with interpersonal relationships like a conflict resolution counselor. Jesus didn't simply come to advise us on how we can resolve conflicts between family and friends. It does have implications for that. But remember what Jesus says in Matthew 10. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. What is the sword that Jesus is talking about there? Not a literal sword, right? A metaphorical sword, a division that would take place even among families and close friends over loyalties, ultimate loyalties. If your ultimate loyalty is to Christ and his kingdom, then Jesus is saying, watch out, because that's going to set you apart from people whose ultimate loyalty is going to be something else. That's the vision he's, he's, he's actually bringing. The point is that Jesus' peacemaking task in this world is not primarily to solve everyone's interpersonal disputes, although it does have ramifications for interpersonal relationships. But his mission, his primary mission, is to help people get right with God. And all those other things will be added unto you. So Jesus doesn't come with a sword like a military king. He doesn't also act as our personal psychological counselor or legal negotiator. But he does come to bring peace. Right, Isaiah 9, verse 6. He is the prince of peace. And what was proclaimed at his birth by those angels? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So yes, he is the creator of peace. Let's dwell on this for a moment. Jesus is the creator of peace. 
How so? Well, Jesus came proclaiming truth, did he not? The truth of how to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He proclaims this message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. How's that for honesty in a peacemaker? If you want to be reconciled to God, repent and believe the gospel. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I don't think Jesus sugarcoated the facts, right? He didn't whitewash the truth. He spoke honestly about the need to repent of sin and follow him. And, and, guess what? For Jesus, peace was not cheap. Peace came at a cost. Peace came painfully. There is nothing cheap about the peace that Jesus earned. It came with his own blood. As Paul says in Colossians 1, For God was pleased through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So don't tell me that it's cheap for Jesus to win us, win us peace. It didn't cost him his life. Jesus, you see, is the ultimate peacemaker. He has created peace. Peace between two hostile parties, between God and you. Right? The Bible says that we are at war with God. You and I are at war because of our sinful nature. Sin is hostility between us and God. An unforgiven sin will murder peace. Without the punishment of sin being taken away, without being counted righteous, it's impossible to have a reconciled relationship with God. But Jesus, in God's love for us, God sent his only son, Jesus, to step into that breach, as it were. To suffer the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. And Jesus not only endured pain willingly at the cross, he fully exhausted God's punishment against our sin. And so, believer, you no longer have to be an enemy of God. You are reconciled to him through the cross of Christ. This is what the cross is all about, right? Jesus takes an instrument of torture and turns it into a mechanism of peace. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, for example. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Friends, God is now calling on you, on everyone, you haven't made peace with God to repent of your sin and be reconciled to him. 
right? I've said it before. This is the only message that I have to you. This is the only thing that I can say as a minister, along with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. It's just simply this. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God through the cross of Christ. Be at peace with him through faith in Christ. Because if you, if, you, if you don't do that, friends, you cannot be a peacemaker. Unless you first receive peace with God through Jesus Christ, you cannot be a peacemaker. Without Christ, you'll be going through this world crying peace, peace, where there is no peace. You can, you can mediate all the conflicts in life that you want. You can end as many wars as you want. But if you don't have faith in Christ, you will never have peace. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, by the grace of God, you are assured, you are assured today that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 1. You're no longer an enemy of God. You are his friend. In fact, you're not just a friend. What does Jesus say here? You're a son of God. This is the blessing. And Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I got question marks going off. Blessed, son of God, or children of God. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know about you parents out there. You don't have to be a parent to appreciate this. But when Calvin was born, I remember for a long time, day after day after day, just sort of staring at his face, trying to figure it out. Um, is he looking more like me or looking more like Marion? And you know, this goes on back and forth. You know, well, he's he's kind of got Marion's nose. He seems like he might have my eyes. Um, you know, he's got my mouth. She's he's maybe got her eyes and. Her, what are, you know, as the older that child gets too, that doesn't stop. You just start seeing, well, oh, he's acting like her this way or acting like me this way. And, you know, as a parent, it's often a good thing when someone says, oh, he's just like a spitting image of his father, right? Meaning he's just acting like his father did. Or sometimes we say like father, like son. You know, it's a, a spitting image of, of his parents or, or whatever. So in Christian peacemaking, as Jesus says here, it's not much different. It's not much different. Calling people to be reconciled to God, is that not an echo of what Jesus Christ himself has done? When you proclaim the good news of the gospel, of reconciliation with God, are you not acting like Jesus himself? Are you not mirroring who God is, proclaiming peace through Jesus Christ? As a child of God, believer, you have this blessing to reflect the glory of God in his work of salvation. That when you evangelize and share the good news, you're actually modeling what God himself is like. And so children of God are like him because their father, the prince of the God of peace, works for peace between God and sinners. I hope you can see then. I hope you can see that peacemaking is not a chore. It's a privilege. 
It's a blessing to be able to say the peacemaking work that I'm that I'm that I'm working at here, that I'm even enduring under pain, is a work that reflects who God is. What an awesome blessing. What an honor. What greater honor could there be than to look like, so to speak, Jesus Jesus Christ himself, the Prince of Peace? What greater honor could there be than to have God look down upon you with approval and say, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, listen to her, and the message that they bring. The world cries for peace and peacemakers. And as a child of God, you have the privilege to be that agent of peace, reflecting God and who he is. That's a special call of every Christian peacemaker. And that brings me to my last point here, the call to be a peacemaker. That's how I started the sermon, so to speak, and coming back to it now, how Jesus calls Christians or how Jesus blesses Christians to be peacemakers in their community and in their church. This is, this is your marching orders here. Are you a peacemaker? Are you imitating Christ in his work of reconciliation? Are you working to minister to people to tell them to be reconciled to be God? And keep in mind here, Jesus is not calling you to be a peacekeeper. He's calling you to be a peacemaker. What does that look like? Well, first of all, there's two ways, right? Community in the church. First of all, be a peacemaker in your community. Gospel proclamation. That means evangelism. Sharing the gospel of salvation. Peace with God through Christ and faith in Christ alone because of the atoning work of Jesus. That means you're an aroma of life to some and a fragrance of death to others. But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, for example, about this call. He says, And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is working through you to make this gospel appeal. Now, I know that some people read that passage and they say, well, Paul's especially talking to ministers of the gospel, being ambassadors. And yeah, that's, that's the context. I understand that. But is it not true that if you are a child of God, a son of God, you therefore are also called to be a peacemaker? That duty, that privilege is given to every single child of God. And so there is a sense in which all Christians are called to actively distinguish themselves as peacemakers. Now, I know, friends, not every single one of us is equipped for evangelism in the exact same way. Not all of us have the same tools. Not all of us have the same passion. But those who are making this calling the top of their list are living up to the family membership. All of us should at least aspire to be peacemakers, as Jesus is describing here. 
And we've got tools to do that. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be on your own to do that, right? The church is here to help equip you for that, starting with just even an evangelism track on the back table there, two ways to live. Grab one of those, two of those, three of those, five, I don't care. Let's go through that with your friend or, or a colleague. Christianity Explained, we're starting next week. Bring a friend. Get, a, get equipped yourself to lead one of those courses. If you want to be trained on that, talk to me. Um, simple way to share the good news, just sit down and read through one of the Gospels with a friend. doesn't have to be fancy. There are books that I can recommend to you. But a simple way to start being a peacemaker is just through prayer. In fact, you should start peacemaking with prayer every single time. Start by praying for yourself. Pray that God would use you. But then pick somebody in your life, maybe a family member, a close friend, a colleague. Just pick one person and say, I'm going to pray for this person regularly, every single day. I'm going to pray that God would give me opportunities to have gospel conversations. I'm going to pray that God would begin to work in this person's heart. And you just keep praying that prayer and looking for those opportunities. And you will find, I believe, that God will give that to you. But know that this is one job of peacemaking. And know that it's not very popular. I've already mentioned that there is a price. And as we'll see, Lord willing, next week, and that beatitude, God's instruments of reconciliation or sometimes even have to endure great persecution for that. But know that this is one of the most privileged jobs. It is the most privileged job that you'll ever have. Peacemaking and the wages of blessedness. Okay, so number one, you're called to be a peacemaker in your community. But number two, be a peacemaker in the church. Be a peacemaker in the church. Remember, Paul writes to the Colossians Colossians 3, verse 5, or 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Notice Paul describes peace as being a rule there. A guy named Sinclair Ferguson said one time uh, that Paul describing peace as a rule is like, it's kind of like peace is the referee in the church. Anytime there's something going out of bounds or some sort of... Uh, uh, out-of-line activity in the church, we blow the whistle on it. A peace isn't just some warm, fuzzy feeling inside. It's a active maintaining of unity in the church. And so we just had the opportunity a little while ago to see Thomas give his membership vows. And one of those vows, the fifth vow, is talking about submitting to the church's government, participating faithfully in the church's worship and service, Part of the reason that we take that vow is because we desire peace within the church, right? We don't want to have false doctrine, for example, infiltrating the church and dividing us, right? We don't want to have our egos and pride going ahead of um, everything else in the church, what we should be giving our priorities to. All of us as children of God, then, we're called in some way, in some, some aspect, to blow the whistle, as it were, when we see division that is occurring in the church, whether that's false doctrine, or whether that's gossip or slander or backbiting. But all of us are called to put our personal preferences 
aside for the sake of the peace of the church. But there's another reason why we need to work for peace in the church. And remember the Apostle Paul tells Christians in Ephesus, he says, I urge you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the bond of peace, Paul says. Now Paul's saying that peace is like a cord or a rope that ties us together as believers. You think about it like this. Uh, John Owen, a Puritan, gave this illustration. He said, you know, imagine a man who goes out to pick up wood for his fireplace. So he goes out into the forest. He's picking up branches. You know, he finds all different kinds of branches, right? Some are long, some are short. Uh, some are thick, some are thin. Some are straight and some are twisted. He puts them all in this big bundle and he gets a piece of rope and he ties it all together, right? Well, that's what the church is kind of like. We're all different shapes. We're all different sizes, different backgrounds, different histories. But Christ is what binds us together. And he binds us together, Paul says, with a bond of peace. So as soon as you cut that bond, that cord of peace, the church falls apart. Let me ask you, are you, a, are you a peacemaker in the church? You desire to make that bond of peace strong, to work towards it. Do you, do you pray like the psalmist in Psalm 122 when he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and towers. Or do you amen Jesus' prayer in John 17 when he prays, may all be one. May they be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Work for the peace of the church. Pray for it. Friends, we may be small, but don't let that fool you into thinking we are free from having problems in this church. Don't let that fool you into thinking that disunity can occur here. There's a Puritan, William Gurnall, once said, Satan has no other way to sink the saints than with strife. It's all of our duty, a privilege, to work for the peace of the church. Pray for the peace of the church. Be a peacemaker even here. Our friends, I think Jesus here, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. This is not an easy task to be a peacemaker. It does take effort. It often means enduring pain while we're speaking truth and love. But Christians are blessed to be peacemakers in your community and in your church. They're blessed. It's a privilege to do the godlike work of reconciliation. You have the most honored position in the entire world to be a peacemaker. You're probably not going to win a Nobel Peace Prize for it. Probably not going to have a city named after you or a street or a square probably not going to have a statue erected in your honor for being a Christian peacemaker, but in God's eyes, you are blessed. You are approved. You're welcome. 
and your work of peacemaking is of eternal significance. Are you prepared to be a peacemaker? Because if you're a citizen in God's kingdom, your work is peacemaking, your wages, blessedness. Amen. Let's pray.